This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey folks, welcome to the show. Plenty of stories and inspiration today as we have triathlon legend Bob Babbitt joining the show to share musings from his corner of our sport and tell us all about Challenged Athletes Foundation. Bob started racing triathlons in the late 1970s and has been closely tied to the sport ever since. He is the founder of Babbittville Media Group and the co-founder of Competitor Magazine and the Challenged Athletes Foundation. He's a member of both the Ironman and USA Triathlon Halls of Fame and travels the world interviewing the greats of the sport with his show, Breakfast with Bob. I'm a big fan of Bob Babbitt. I'm a big fan of Breakfast. Uh, Bob, welcome to the Trout Out Podcast. Oh, thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate it, Andrew. It's, it's always nice to, to connect with, uh, with people who really care about our sport. Yes, sir. Also joining us today is someone who cares about the sport, Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads Trotout's Athlete Services Ambassador and Coaching Programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes, ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using Trotout since 2010 and coaching with Trotout since 2012. John, thanks for joining the Trotout Babbittville Meetup collaboration here today. Absolutely. So old, old quote that I think is great. It's such a privilege to count your heroes among your friends. And uh, Bob is the epitome of that. So it's just a, a privilege to to have him here on our, our podcast. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to spend time with him. It's a privilege to have uh, had the honor to uh, attend the illustrious Thank God I'm Not Racing Party hosted by Bob Babbitt and Challenged Athlete Foundations in Kona a couple of weeks ago. So uh, yeah, super cool. Always great to hang out with Bob. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, I, I took a hat home from uh, Bob. You're giving away. Thank God I'm not racing hats at that party, and and I, I missed opportunity to not wear that on the interview today. So uh, I I if I could go there you go. And oh, John's got his. Oh, I'm, I'm taking a screenshot, brim, baby. That's what it's I'm all taking about. Taking a screenshot. This is going to our uh, listeners. Boom, got it. Good job, John. Good on you. Uh, well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Before we get too deep into the show today, I want to give a shout-out to our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind Live Steady, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike and crash, UCAN energy powders powered by Live Steady deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. I personally fuel many of my workouts with the orange-flavored edge gel and the unflavored UCAN energy. Uh, between their energy mix, energy bars, almond butter, and more, there is definitely a Live Steady product that you will love. So head to their website, youcan.co, and use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. That's youcan.co, promo code TRIDOT. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. It's amazing to watch the top pros square off several times a year at all sorts of different distances and events. Uh, Kona, St. George, PTO events, Clash events, Challenge Family events, uh, and Super League try, they all draw a world-class athlete field and, and clearly the best in the world of triathlon. Uh, Bob, John, for our warm-up question today, I'm curious, though, if you could take the best triathletes in the world and watch them compete in a different sport than triathlon, what sport would you choose and why? Bob Abbott. What do you think here? <laughs> it's funny. Years ago, I learned uh, we were playing, uh, set up a, like a volleyball thing with Scott Tinley and Scott Moline and some of the legends and realized a lot of these guys yeah. don't have the hand-eye coordination and why they <laughs> went into, why they decided to go into endurance sports. 
So I would try to keep these guys in endurance. I would I would like to see those those guys follow Cam Worth and try racing uh, racing racing professional cycling. I'd also okay. like to see them in some gravel races and, and things like that. It'd be pretty cool. I've seen Heather Jackson is an example of that. I've, yep. I mean, even even since Kona here here in 2022, she just did a, her first 100 mile trail race. Um, I saw that on her Instagram feed. I know she's kind of dabbling in some of that adventure uh, type stuff. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see would would the guys and gals that dominate uh, right now at, at at the world stages of triathlon would they also dominate on mountain bikes and on gravel and on kind of some different forms of endurance sports? Be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. John Mayfield, what is your answer here? What sport would you like to see professional triathletes compete in? So mine was a little more sadistic, um, kind of make me feel better about myself. Uh, I'd, okay. I'd like for them to play golf. Um, so yeah. I, I've told stories about, you know, my, my former life when I was a, a bank senior VP, I played lots of golf. I actually got pretty good, uh, at, at golf. And then I got into triathlon and, uh, my stock went down, but, uh, at golf is a, is a tough game. Um, and, and I would imagine some of those just, just natural athletes would immediately pick it up and just smash the ball 300 yards down the sure. middle of the fairway. Others would like Bob was saying, no hand-eye coordination would, would struggle even to hit the ball. But then, um, maybe to meet somewhere in the middle, uh, we, we make it into speed golf, which is kind of a new emerging hybrid sport where, um, it's less, a little bit less about how many strokes you take, but how quickly you get it through. So these folks are, uh, they're hitting the ball and they're immediately running dead sprint, uh, to the ball, hit the ball, uh, and, and run to the next one again. So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's a little less of a premium on hitting the ball straight at that point. Uh, it's more about how quickly can you get from stroke to stroke. So, uh, so maybe meet in the middle and, uh, play some speed golf. So, so John, it's funny. You mentioned speed golf. I put on speed golf tournaments in the nineties. Did you? Nice. Oh yeah. We started playing and actually we, uh, Greg Welch, myself, Paul Huddle, we go to a little executive course here in San Diego, uh, Loma Santa Fe exec. We'll play 36 holes in about 90 minutes. Jeez. We keep, I have golf bags that have, actually have spikes on the bottom. And so you, you come up, you carry a, cause we're playing executive course, like a seven, eight wedge putter. You only carry a couple clubs. You have volley shorts, headlamp, cause we have to be the first ones teed off in the morning, teeing off at five fifteen in the morning. And, um, What's great is you just keep track of pars and birdies, John, so you never have a bad hole. A par is a point, a birdie is two points, and then you just, you know, you just jog. So we'll, uh, you actually play better golf. I've had two hole-in-ones running, and I'd never wow, come wow. close to a hole-in-one doing, you know, it, you, it takes your mind out of the game. It's, it's, I, I agree, John, it'd be really, really fun to do more of those tournaments. We've always thought about going the, the day after Ironman and Kona, and going out the four seasons and having a little running golf and matching your your, your Kona time with your what you your time and oh that's fun yeah, yeah. Speed there so anyways it's it's a real deal and a lot of our guys are good at it Welchie's a hell of a golfer by the way interesting oh good to know I can good see that know. I can see that so my pick here uh, I, I would be intrigued by seeing our and our our best triathletes in the world um kind of take their hand at a team sport right we're used to seeing them compete for themselves one-on-one -on -one, yep. uh and and to, to put them in a team sport atmosphere I think would be really cool just to see how they respond in a team environment how they you know who, who is the rah-rah guy and who, who is who is the motivational gal and who is the team player who who stands out from the pack and so uh, kind of Bob to your point to not pull them too far out of their element. I thought water polo would be a great uh, team sport to put them in. Uh, all of our triathletes uh, can swim <laughs> uh, to varying uh, d degrees of ability. They're all they're all better than me, and so they're it's an environment they're used to being in the pool. They're used to swimming back and forth. It's just throwing a ball uh, and, and a goal into the mix and seeing uh, uh, how they would do in that environment. So that's my pick here. Uh, I'm curious to hear what our audience has to say. Make sure that you are a part of the I am trot out Facebook group every single Monday when the new show comes out, uh, we throw our one more question to you. Um, so go find the post asking you, Hey, what team or, or not team sport, what other sport besides triathlon? Would you want to see the pros compete at? Can't wait to hear what you have to say. On to the main set going in three, two, one. We have been raving about two Tom Sport Shield and Blister Shield that have been literally saving our skin while we train. Well, Metadyne, the folks behind the brilliant two Toms lineup, also offer top notch recovery and mobility training devices. 
Their pro-stretch at-a-day lineup of recovery tools has been trusted by physical therapists, trainers, athletes, and regular exercisers for over 25 years. So whether you're searching for a pro-stretch calf stretcher, foot stretcher, or at-a-day foam rollers and massage balls, discover a better way to prevent and treat sore, stiff, and painful muscles, tendons, ligaments, and joints at Metadyne.com. My pro-stretch calf stretcher lives underneath my desk and basically gets used on a daily basis. There are so many recovery and stretching tools you can add to your arsenal. Check out the Pro Stretch Add-A-Day Recovery product line at metadyne.com and use promo code TRIDOT to get 20% off your order. Between the Challenge Athlete Foundation, Breakfast with Bob, Competitor Magazine, the Muddy Buddy Ride and Run Series, and so much more, Bob Babbitt's heart, soul, and personality are woven tightly into the tapestry of triathlon. And today, this fan favorite and legend of our sport joins us to share his experience with Tri and the inspiring work of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Bob, let's start at the very beginning. Your very first taste of Ironman was in 1980, back when the race was held in Oahu. Uh, It was the third Ironman race ever. It had 108 participants, and you were one of them. Bob, tell us about that race. Well, the, the main thing was we didn't really know what we were doing. My my roommate <laughs> at the time was a guy named Ned Overend, who would come, become world mountain bike champion. But okay. back then, mountain bikes hadn't been invented yet. So Ned was a working at San Diego Suzuki as a mechanic, and I was a school teacher running a PE program in San Diego. And we read about this thing in 1979. Uh, the, the Ironman was an article in Sports Illustrated, which is sort of the Bible for all of us. And it was an eight-page feature on this guy named Tom Warren, who had won the Ironman. And it was only 15 starters and 12 finishers, both in 78 and 79. So when Tommy won it in 79, this article in Sports Illustrated, that led to 108 of us signing up the following year, because that was wow. that was the impetus. And we didn't know anything about it. We, we had done, Tommy put on one of the first endurance events um, in, 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 uh, actually in probably in the world, but he put on this thing called the tug swim, run, swim, which was a half mile swim around this pier in San Diego. You ran five miles on the beach and you swam around the pier again. But more importantly, you, you ran through the finish and the first 75 people to get to his bar, which was another three, four blocks away, they got <laughs> breakfast and a, and a tugs mug. And that was, motivation. that was, yeah, Ned and I both, Actually, what led to all this is Ned and I finished the race, got our mug and our plate with runny eggs on it. And it was a guy named Mike Plant who had a company where he would take photos of people at the races. And then this is before your guys' time. He'd send little little, little photos, miniature photos to your house, and you could order the, the full-size photos. And so this guy took a photo of Ned and I at the finish of Tugs and – so, you know, tracking this guy down to get our photos led to meeting, you know, really him introducing us to Tom Warren, who had won the race. Because it's not like you go online and find out what the Ironman was. You had to sure. find out somebody, yeah. find somebody who had done the thing. So we set up a meeting with this guy, Tom Warren, and he's like, Babbitt, you know, just come to my come to my office. It's just west of Crystal, west of the the um, just uh, it's just south of Crystal Pier in Pacific beach and, and on the West side of the street. And we get there, it's, it's a parking lot. There's like no buildings there. And it was a motor home with a bike on the back with running shoes tied around the side view mirror and a paddleboard on top. And that sounds I, I right. sort of stuck my head in and was like, Babbitt, welcome to my office. I was like, so he ordered, he'd ordered chips and salsa and beer from the payphone behind him. Then he'd go paddle out in the ocean. He'd ride, 40 miles. He'd run a five mile loop every, every morning. He ran the same five mile loop from this crystal pier to the mission Bay jetty and back mission beach jetty and back. And actually there's a black line around the pole, the light pole at where he would turn around every day and his grimy hand left a, left a, a ring that's still there to this day around this pole. Wow. He ran this thing every day for 50 years. Anyway, so Tommy told us about this event and we ended up signing up, sending our $25 in. And he was like, well, you're going to need a bike. So Ned and I went to the police auction to get bikes. Mine was 75 bucks. Whole back end was burnt. Uh, put a Radio Shack radio on the front of it. Bungee corded it on. Had flat, had the um, uh, 
the fuzzy raccoon seat cover, had the, the foam grips on the handlebars, kickstand, reflectors. It was it was it was made to go. So oh, it sounds but, like it. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then there were rock climb, mountain climb. Uh, we, we had a uh, rock climbing group. And so the only helmets we owned were rock climbing helmets and rock climbing helmets don't have holes in them. So when we'd go <laughs> ride, we'd ride 10 miles and go, oh, my God, my head's going to explode. This bike ride is going to take us. It's going to take us 10, 12 hours. They, they, they were probably miles. decently aerodynamic, though, without any holes, right? Maybe. But our, you know, it's <laughs> like it made us realize that we might average 10, 12 miles an hour. And how the hell are we going to finish? We can't. So the, I went out and got Pannier's sleeping bag a tent right away because I was like, okay, we're going to swim 2.4, ride 56, camp out and ride back the next day and oh, do wow. the marathon. That was sort of the thought because there was really there was really no rules. There was really you would bring your own support crew. So we uh, we ended up heading over, and like I, like I said, 108 of us: Dave Scott, uh, Laddie Shaw, a bunch of Navy SEALs. Everybody thought that this was you know Gordon Haller, who had won the event the year before, had beaten a uh, or had won the event in 1978. He had beaten a Navy SEAL. Um, named John Dunbar. And so it was, it was a, a lot of military were involved with those early years of, of Ironman. And then we went over and set in 1980 and it was supposed to be the Waikiki rough water swim followed by the round Oahu bike ride followed by Honolulu marathon. And we got over there and the race director brings us in the room says, Hey guys, I've got this opportunity. ABC wild world sports is here to film cliff diving on Sunday. And since they're here, they'll, they'll film our event tomorrow right on saturday but if we have to delay it a day like we did last year because of the storms and it was the surf was breaking 10 feet up on the wall ned wow. and i already resigned ourselves the fact we were going to die the next morning there was sure. no way we were going to get through the surf this was <laughs> nice knowing you it's been a lot of fun but we're going to die tomorrow we're standing there at the hotel where they're doing the pre-race meeting and the waves are breaking up against the building at the grand otani and we're like this is we're we're, we're toast so he comes in and he goes hey uh, because I can't afford to postpone the event, I'll lose ABC. We're going to do the event tomorrow, but we're moving the swim to Alamoana Channel, which is totally flat. And I was like, "Oh my God, we're going to live!" So it was. It was. Uh, meanwhile, Dave Scott and all the seals were like, "You can't move the swim. What the hell? It's called the Ironman." Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> you can't move it." Knowing they were going to move it, we're going to live. So it was. Uh, it was actually very cool. And we we get in the water. And you, you swim down, back, down, back as four lengths. And I was staying as shallow as possible. And there was a 59-year-old guy in the race named John Huckabee, the only guy with sponsorship. You know, like, like Rocky, he had like Acme meets on yeah. the back of his jersey. But he had run the him. Athens Marathon yeah. three times in one day. That was his claim to fame. But he couldn't swim. So as I'm coming back in my first lap, I almost run into the guy they call the Incredible Huck, who's walking the swim, moving his arms at the Ironman triathlon. So, so it was that shallow. It was that shallow. And wow. he's the only guy to get blisters in his feet during the swim portion of the Ironman triathlon <laughs> World Championship, which is pretty cool. But anyway, so I get out of the water and I'm so excited. There was, there was a, a guy and his kid in the one shower that was there. So I had to wait till he was done with his kid and they just happened to be at the park. And then my crew was there. I had a, I, I had a, um, uh, a long sleeve shirt, which is great in Oahu add a beige like hiking shorts with a with a leather belt and wore number three not because i was seated because but because i sent my 25 dollars in third nice and yeah. you know kickstand <laughs> and a whole bit and we didn't know what bike shoes were so we got on the bike and i'm tuning my radio going through waikiki at 25 miles there's my crew on the side of the road and it's a big mac fries and a coke Right. <laughs> that was Perfect. at mile 25 yeah. with a snow cone at mile 90 coming at the end of the bike. And there's a bamboo mat. And I hear this boom box and my crew's like, how about a massage? I'm like, oh, my God, my neck is so sore. So I got That's a great. 45 minute massage between the bike and a run and then waddled off through Waikiki. And they, they had a rule back then. They had scales throughout the bike and the run. And if you lost 5% of your body weight, you were pulled out of the race. Where the science came from, I have no idea. But I get off the bike and they weigh me. And then I'm waddling through Waikiki, eating Hawaiian sweetbread and drinking Gatorade because we didn't know anything about nutrition. And then I get on the scale at mile five and I can hear the guy in the walkie talk. He's like, hey, can you give me that again? I gained five pounds. You can't gain weight during this thing. 
How and is then, that possible? <laughs> you can't do it. And then, but the cool part was we're running up Diamond Head and my crew in their little Fiat convertibles right behind me. And we're running up Diamond Head and going to drop into Capilani Park. And I'm thinking, I'm finishing this thing in one day. This is unbelievable. There's going to be bands. There's going to be cheerleaders. I can't wait to see the festivities at the finish. We drop into the park and we come in and I see a light bulb above me and a chalk line across the road. And I hear this voice out to the right. It's like, hey, you. Yeah. You in the race? Yeah. You're done. Nobody. No Mike Riley. One guy doing one-arm push-ups in the park. That was it. It was like, oh, I did this humongous thing and there's nobody here. But it was one of those deals that I knew this event had changed me. I knew that by finishing this thing, I had given myself a business card that told me I could do anything. And I basically came back after being a teacher and went to see this guy, Mike Plant, who had a magazine called Running News. Uh, And uh, we chatted for a long time and talked about, you know, triathlon. And next thing you know, it's running a triathlon news. And I became the LA editor and drove up to LA every weekend uh, to cover this silly, up this silly sport. So it was, it was that, that was very cathartic for me, just doing that event, having no clue I could do it, finishing it. And just like so many people nowadays, it, it changed my life forever. I was about to say that, Bob, it, it, it is remarkable to me how the race has changed so much. The event itself has changed so much. Just the scale of the production is just beyond, I'm sure what you guys imagined it would become back then, but the, the, the sentiment for the athlete and, and the accomplishment of that finish line is still very much the same as what you experienced. Uh, I mean, virtually by yourself with one person telling you, you did it, you're done. Good job. Right. Uh, and it's, it's cool to hear that the, that the sentiment is still the same, even though it's, it's changed so much. So, I mean, you, Bob, as the race has changed, as the as the experience has changed, you are as close to the action and the storylines as someone could be without being in the race themselves. You know, what, what excites you the most as you look at kind of the state of triathlon today? What I love about the sport right now is you've got Ironman, you got Ironman 70.3, you have Super League, you have PTO, Challenge, Clash. There's so many opportunities. I, I, I think so much of our sport revolves around you know, you've got the tip of the triangles, your pros. And those yeah. people are, you know, I obviously grew up with the Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Scott Molina, the big four. I've got my Dave Scott, Mark Allen bobbleheads here from Iron War, all that type of stuff. The sport revolves around, it gets its lead from the tip of the iceberg, from the top pros. And then what happens is people in the masses want to read about those guys or learn about those guys. And then they get into the sport and find that, oh, my God, this sport, this sport is really cool. I want to be involved. Yeah. So with the amount of great television now um, or great online coverage, the the great personalities of Christian and Gustav and Lucy and Jan, and there, it's, it goes on and on. That's the part that excites me the most is I think we're going into a golden age of this sport where there's the at the pro athletes understand they have an obligation. Their obligation is to share information and to share their love of the sport, which transfers to our age groupers. And one of the things I think that people sometimes forget, pros in other sports grew up to be pros, soccer players, football players, basketball players. They're identified when they were very young and were sort of nurtured along the way. Uh, Is Someone like a Sky Monch was a a CPA. Gwen Jorgensen was working at Ernst & Young before they were identified as a talent or before they realized they had a talent. So our guys were age groupers. Our pros were all age group athletes who evolved into professionals. So they relate to the age groupers. The age groupers relate to the pros. And on race day, I can't go play Wimbledon and hang out with Roger Federer. I can't go and play golf with Tiger Woods uh, at the Masters. But in Kona, I'm in the same bay with Jan Frodeno and Lionel Sanders and those guys. So when we talk story afterwards, I can talk to them about the wind. And, hey, it, you know, how was it in Javi? How was it at Kauai High? What was you – know, did you – how were the aid stations work for you guys? I just think that there's a connection that you don't see in other sports between our – the elite of the elite and the person who's doing their first ever triathlon at, you know, a short distance event. They're, they're, they all – feel that they are triathletes. One of my favorite stories, I, I'm a big proponent 
to grow the sport, we need the short distance races. And everybody's become so iron centric. It's, I want to get my duo 70.3. I want to do a full and then they're gone. They get their MDOT tattoo and sometimes they leave. Well, the big thing out here that I've been pushing is, is pool triathlons because the swim scares the crap out of people. As you guys know, as coaches, you know, the swim is, is something that a lot of people have never really done. So these races start with a 5k run, then a 10 or 12 mile bike, then 150 yard swim in a pool. So we have this great event out here called the Tinsel Triathlon every December in beautiful Hemet, California. Nice thing about these pool races, you don't need to be by the beach. You can be out in the middle of nowhere. Sure. Which Hemet is the middle of nowhere. So McKeeley Jones, uh, Ironman world champion, Olympic silver medalist. And try out coach. Yeah, try out coach. Exactly. Yeah. McKeeley loves racing as much as I do. And she will come to all the little pool triathlons. All that stuff will go together. So we're at this Tinsel Triathlon. And- there's a guy there with his board shorts on, his belly hanging out, his bike yeah. with his high bars and a koozie. Love it. And this is his doing his first ever race. And he's like, oh, this young, young, nice girl is helping me putting out my towel and how to set up and stuff. It's McKeeley, right? He has no idea <laughs> what she's done. So anyways, he finishes the race and the race director goes, a race announcer goes, hey, uh, before we start the awards, the Iron Man TV show is going to be on later today on NBC. You guys should watch the Iron Man TV show. And this guy with his, uh, his bike with the high bars and his in his koozie and his board shorts, and he's just, just finished this thing. His wife says to him, honey, what's the Iron Man? He doesn't hesitate for a second. He goes, same thing I just did a little longer. So in his mind, yeah, he, sure. and, he and Jan, he and Lionel, they're like this. We are all triathletes. We all Absolutely. got wet. We all rode. We all ran. And that light bulb went on for me that this sport changes lives. And it doesn't matter the distance. It makes you feel great about yours. It makes you better at everything you do. It makes you a better employee, employer, parent. It just just doing those three sports makes you better at everything you do. And, and it, there's no difference between your age grouper and top, top level pro. We all experience the same thing. So you were gracious enough to give a talk at our 2022 ambassador camp in St. George. And Bob, I've heard some of the stories you've shared before. I've even heard you share some of those stories before. And still, I was riveted. I was with you emotionally, word for word, as you talked about the history of triathlon and the Challenged Athlete Foundation. Our ambassadors absolutely loved uh, that as our opening session for camp. It kicked us off, got us off on a great foot. Uh, Bob, you're clearly a very gifted storyteller. When did you realize that was a strength of yours? And what sparked the idea to turn that storytelling ability into Babbittville Radio and Breakfast with Bob? I think everything started with when I first started with, with was standing a track club news and became running news and running a triathlon news with Mike Plant. I was, uh, yeah, I, I like creating different characters. So I, I created some characters for the, the, for the magazine called the running wino, the Reverend Campagnolo minister triathlism. I was in like in a priest suit with holding <laughs> a Bible. You can't get away with this stuff nowadays, you know, and, and just, you know, and then um, the running old fart of the month. And Mike brought me into his office one day and he had this pile of letters, right? Back then you couldn't just send an email. You, 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 if you were upset or excited about something, you had to sit down, write it, get a stamp, put it in an envelope and mail. And he goes, I've got all these letters. A lot of these are like, I can't believe this guy's talking about somebody as an old fart and running wino is ridiculous. But the other ones are, this guy is hilarious. We need to, you need to have him do more. And he goes, Bob, Bob, how old did you have to be to be considered for old fart of the month? Old fart of the month was usually back then. Cause it was like nowadays we have 80 year old, 90 year olds. But back then, if you were over 50, you were considered an old fart Okay, because there weren't, it, it, there was a guy named Bill Bell who passed away last year, I think at 96, 97. And he'd call me up. He didn't get in the sport till he was 55. And then when he turned 65, he's like, Bob, every age, every race I go to, it's 50 to 54, 55, 59, 60 plus. I can't wow. compete with these guys. I'm 65. So I'd call USA Triathlon. And say, hey, guys, we need to add another age division. And be like, it went from, and he'd call me every few years. Then it became 70 plus. Then it became 80 plus. <laughs> and now there's, if you look at USA Triathlon, there's 90 to 94, 95 to 99. Then they've had participants. Bill was 
in those events when he was in his 90s. So it's, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of age group is, you know, like you said, old fart was, was a yeah. lot younger back then. Now they're a lot older. But anyways, what Mike told me, Mike looked at me and he goes, listen, the cool thing is the one thing you don't want to be in life is vanilla. You want people to feel passionate about what you do, what you write about. So with the fact that these people sat down to write a letter and either hated what you wrote or loved what you wrote, that's exactly what I want for this magazine. So don't ever forget that. Don't be vanilla. And that always stuck to me because you could write a race coverage of a store of a race of covering the Ironman and talk about, you know, Dave Scott and Mark Allen and all these. You can tell everything that happened in the race or you can find one part of it that mean that really is something you're passionate about. So one year at Ironman, my coverage was this guy, uh, Dr. Corey Folk, who decided to do Ironman on a cruiser bike, right? I mean, he had a 55 pound Schwinn Typhoon and he, he qualified for Kona and rolled this bike. He had a Hawaiian shirt on barefoot, right? Bike with a kickstand on it, painted fluorescent yellow. He paid 25 bucks for the bike and another 50 in paint to paint this thing. And that was the story. You know, he did this bike ride barefoot on a cruiser bike because he wanted to show people you didn't need a $10,000 bike to do the Ironman triathlon. Which is still true to this day. To this day, it's still true. But that to me was the story. The race story, sometimes you have to look, I always like to look at what moves me, right? Rather than trying to, you can't tell everything, which is, you know, back in the day when you look at a newspaper, they say, this person did this and this person did that. And they list all the age groups. That's vanilla. That's not yeah. passion. Bring the passion, bring that to the game, and people will respond. Yeah. No, I I have a broadcasting degree from my university and and taking journalism classes. I mean, everything you're talking about are, are principles that are taught to this day in, in modern journalism and storytelling. And I, I remember, Bob, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, David McNamee, uh, pro triathlete, uh, male pro from Great Britain, uh, <laughs> he got third in Kona a, a few years back. I was watching the coverage. And on your show, Breakfast with Bob, David literally said that deep in the hurt locker, late on the run, trying to hold off, uh, you know, ma- you know, uh, other males surging for that third place, a huge motivation for him to dig deep and stay in third was so that he could go on Breakfast with Bob the next day as one of the three pro podium finishers. So your show is a highlight for the athletes. It's a highlight for the fans. Uh, you, you become just an integral part of the big race experience. What is it like to be part of Ironman events kind of in that capacity? Well, I mean, I just love the athletes and I love the stories. And it's, fu- it's funny because my wife, uh, Heidi, does all this, my all the social and shares all the stuff. And, you know, we did 73 interviews from Kona and just got back. We did 37 from St. George. So we did 110 interviews. And yeah. I get energized from each and every one of them because I wow. learned something from every athlete we chat with. And it's, it's always fun. I mean, Christian brought it up during our championship edition. He goes – you know, this is the eighth time we've chatted this year. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think you just set a record. I've never had somebody on the show eight times in, in one year, which means you were championship edition, th- uh, you know, three, four five times. Sure. So that, that to me in the fact that I, I've always wanted the athletes to feel loved and supported. And I want their stories. I want the age group at home to hear the story of Jan Ferdano saying, the only reason I got into swimming was because my mother was worried I was going to die surfing right in South Africa. And so she wanted me to be drown proof. Well, that led to everything else that happened in his life. And I think that's such a cool story. Or when we're sitting with Sky Monch at Zion's bank last May before the Ironman, she goes, you know, I worked at Zion's bank. I was a teller at Zion's bank. Not this is this one, but at Zion's. And, and then we got into the fact that when she graduated high school, her parents told her, we can't afford college for you. So whatever you do, you're going to have to work your way through college. And she, she worked cleaning houses. She worked at Zion's bank. She ended up graduating with a CPA with no debt. To me, that's, you know, that shows when people talk about how somebody is going to work hard and be dedicated, Sky Monch is going to work hard and be dedicated because that's what what that's what makes that's that's really what what her makeup is. Is she's never going to give up. She understands that. Hey, I can always go back to being an accountant, but while I'm an athlete, 
I'm going to give a thousand percent and be the best athlete I can. So, so that said, I'm guessing you are not going to quote unquote, pick your favorite child and tell us who your favorite pros are, but, but maybe, maybe you'll give us some insights here. When it's race week, you've got your schedule coming up. You're doing these 110 interviews in, inside of just a couple weeks. Who are your favorite athletes to interview and, and who gets you most excited when you see them walk onto the set? I love interviewing Lionel uh, just because Lionel, I, I like athletes that are engaged. Lionel's always engaged. If he's taking the, if he's agreed to come on, he's not just there to, to go through the motions. We're going to get into something that, that I had no idea where you're going to get into. I also, I, I listen, I love them all, but what's great about, you know, a Lionel or a Sebi, you know, all of a sudden you're talking to Sebi about that, a chance you can go too hard and get injured leading the race. And he goes, Hey, there's a, a fine line be, between beaten fit and effed. Right. And you, yeah. and, and that became just such an epic moment. And that's why like, you never know when something's going to happen. Or when we were first interviewing Lucy, the first time in Kona, we're interviewing Lucy. And I said, so as a swimmer, as somebody who's trying to make the 10 K national team back in 12, 2012 and make your, you know, 1500, what was your typical mileage a week? And she goes, Oh, hundred thousand meters. And I just basically almost fell over. And I just <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? Hey, sometimes you get these answers and you're just like, Oh my God, it makes you realize what they went through. Yeah. Right? What and why our sport means to so think about Lucy, all those years swimming a hundred thousand a week, not really making much, any money. And she jumps into this silly sport on a lark and becomes, you know, sponsored by Red Bull and all these major brands. It's, you know, she was working just as hard before, but now she's reaping the benefits and appreciates all of it. And going back to, you know, Dave Scott, Dave Scott wanted to be a top swimmer and a top water polo player. He didn't have genetics, right? He wasn't Michael Phelps. He he wasn't, he didn't have that, but what he did have was a work ethic where he would work harder than anybody else. Well, that transferred to triathlon, right? All of a sudden he got into this new sport and became the very best because the work ethic he had in one sport transferred to the brand new sport that was just growing. So my impression, Bob, and you can tell me if this is right or if this is wrong, but but just from following you on social media, from hearing stories about you, it seems like when you're not at the races or recording content for Babbittville Radio, you are hard at work for Challenge Athletes Foundation. You are very hands-on helping fundraise, personally working with some athletes. Um, all the other things you do are, are fun, for sure. You're, you're passionate about the pros. You're passionate about age groupers. But empowering challenged athletes to participate in sport is, is clearly your your top passion. What is the origin story for Challenged Athletes Foundation? You know, for us, actually, everything goes back to Ironman, believe it or not. So we had a young man named Jim McLaren, who was a football player at Yale back in 1985. He was a 300-pound offensive lineman. He was taking summer acting classes in New York City. And he was on his motorcycle going to class one day when he got hit by a bus, thrown 90 feet in the air, dead on arrival, uh, lost his lower left leg, and came back from that to run a 316 marathon on a walking leg. And then I met him in Kona at the Ironman when he came over there. He went 1042 in Kona, top 20% of in the race with a walking leg. And at that point, I had covered through Competitor Magazine. I found that a number of the wheelchair athletes, the stories that you'd hear from them, one in particular, a guy named Jim Kanab was an Olympic trials pole vaulter and was going to work out one day. And he was hit by a car on his motorcycle. You just, <laughs> we call them donor cycles. That's uh, motorcycles are really something not very happy about. Anyway, so Jimmy uh, became paralyzed and he was one of those guys who changed the game. Uh, He went, he would go to rehab centers and they would be in the midst of telling the people in rehab, you need to get a van with a lift, uh, you know, get rid of your regular car. And then Jimmy would roll in in his 63 Rambler convertible and reach behind him, grab his wheelchair fling it out, jump into it, roll in and say, they told you what you can't do. I'm here to show you what you can do. Wow. And the first time he taught me about adaptive sport, because I'm interviewing him at his house for a cover feature of a competitor magazine. And I see this nickel on the floor 
And I'm like, oh my God, poor guy. You know, so I reached down to pick up the nickel. The nickel is glued to the floor. And there's Jim Knob drinking a beer, looking at me and goes, Babbitt, you thought the poor cripple couldn't pick up a nickel off the floor? That's your first lesson. And I'm like, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> Don't ever underestimate anybody. And that became a mantra. And we were really I'm proudest of the fact that we had the first magazine to have a wheelchair athlete on the cover. We did that with Craig Blanchett. We did that with Jim Knob. And, you know, our, my, my team wasn't very excited about that because we're a free magazine where people pick it up. Are they going to pick up a magazine with a guy in a wheelchair on the cover? They did. Wow. But that, that, so anyway, so Jim McLaren finishes the Ironman at 1042. He's traveling the world. Everybody knows who he is. He's sponsored by Budweiser. Eight years later, he's racing in Orange County, California. A van goes through a closed intersection, hits the back of his bike, propels him headfirst in a pole. A guy's already an amputee, becomes a quadriplegic. And at that point, because of my background with uh, dealing with wheelchair athletes um, and my my relationship with Jeffrey Essica, who worked at the Tinley Company, and Rick Kozlowski as a local race director, we decided we'd put on a little triathlon to raise money for Jimmy. And the goal was because uh, Jim Knob and so many others have told me the worst part about becoming paralyzed was all of a sudden you're 30 years old and here come mom and dad back in your life. Hmm. No sense of self or independence. So our goal was we're going to raise 25,000. We're going to buy Jimmy a van with hand controls to give him that independence. And that's what we did. We raised 49, little triathlon, job was done. Three amputee women come up to us at that event who were on a relay team. And they're like, listen, Jimmy got us into endurance sports and we love it. But did you know when you get injured, your health insurance covers an everyday wheelchair or a walking leg. Nothing to do with sport is covered because they consider sport a luxury item. And that's we're like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know, every, all the people in your diet, tri-dot community understand how important, how important fitness Absolutely. is, how important sport is. Uh, people underestimate the power of sport. So that's when we got our 5013C and decided if someone needed a piece of equipment, training or travel to stay in game of life through sport, we'd be there. And it's been 29 years. Next year will be our 30th anniversary. We've raised $150 million. We've sent out over 40,000 grants and uh, to athletes in 73 countries, all 50 states, and more importantly, in 104 different sports. So everything from beat baseball to sled hockey to wheelchair basketball, you name it, we provided grants for it. Yeah. So since 1994, I mean, you, you, you mentioned Bob, just, just the numbers, I mean, 40,000 grants, uh, you know, over $150 million so far. Um, and, and what's cool is it's not just endurance sports. I mean, like you said, 104, uh, different sports now have been supported by challenge athlete foundation. Um, and to me, when I think about those athletes, right. I mean, just like every athlete crossing the Ironman finish line means something to Mike Riley, every athlete supported yes. by challenge athlete foundation means something to you. So from those 40,000 grants, the, those millions of athletes, what are a few stories that just mean the most to you that, that you can share with us today? You know, one of the stories that I, I love to tell is that because people say, God, it's great what you've done with your charity, but I'm just one person. How do I help change somebody's life? How do I change the world? And I'd say, well, let me tell you the story about this kid from Ghana named Emmanuel Lofosu Yuboa, uh, who was born with a deformed leg. So he had a, no tibia in one leg, but he had a fibula that stuck out the back of his knee with a foot on it. And in Ghana, you're considered a second-class citizen if you have a child with a disability. It's a curse on the family. Mm, wow. So his dad deserted the family when he was born. Mom was told to abandon Emmanuel in the jungle because that's what parents did with, with their disabled children. That If you saw the people disabled in Ghana, they're begging on the side of the road. That was their lot in life. So his mom refused. She would carry Emmanuel to school every day. When Emmanuel was 13, mom became ill. Emmanuel started shining shoes for a couple of dollars a day, left school to support the family. When he turned 18, mom passed away and he decided he wanted to do something to honor her life. He wanted to ride a bicycle across Ghana. One problem, he didn't own a bicycle. So sure. through a missionary, we receive a typewritten grant request asking for a bicycle. And we're looking at this grant request and you know, where the hell's Ghana? You know, is it by Dallas? Is it by <laughs> Cleveland? Where, where is this place? So at that point, we're looking at the application and his birthday was May 5th, which is my birthday. Oh, I'm like, okay, okay, we'll send the kid a bike. We'll never hear from him. He gets the bike. He rides 600 kilometers across Ghana on one leg on a mountain bike. 
people are running after him like he's Forrest Gump because nobody in Ghana had, nobody with a disability in Ghana had ever done anything like this before. So we're seeing all this media and we're like, okay, let's bring him to San Diego for our, the event we started for Jim McLaren. Bring him to San Diego. He's never been on a plane before. He has $3 in his pocket. He's never been out of Ghana. And he does the 56-mile bike ride here on one leg on a mountain bike. It takes him seven hours. And I'm like, so, Emmanuel, what do you think of the bike ride? He goes, Bob, I did not know San Diego was so hilly. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> good. So he finishes the bike ride. And we, our title sponsor was Loma Linda Hospital. And we had Emmanuel, we took Emmanuel there to see, is he a candidate for prosthetic? They said he was. So we did a deal. We take care of the cost of the leg, cost of transportation, and they would take care of a homestay and the operation. So we fly Emmanuel back to Ghana. And this is where Ironman comes back in. I started thinking, if we don't capture this, it's a huge miss. And I'd work with a woman named Lisa Lax, who produced all the Ironman TV shows for NBC. She also produced the Olympics for NBC. And her twin sister, Nancy produced the Tour de France for CBS. So the two of them. So a little, little experience there capturing content. 16 Emmy Awards between the two of them. And in this day, they they produced the Kennedy Honors. The, the stuff they do now is, is unbelievable. But back then, they were just getting going. And I said, hey, uh, I would love to capture Emmanuel this journey and be there when he has the operation and be there when he does our bike ride next year with two legs right and one. And Lisa's like, Bob, that sounds great. Love to do it. Is he coming, what, five months, six months? I said, no, no, five days. <laughs> she goes, oh, crap. They put a crew at their own expense on a plane to Ghana. They start shooting him, and they're, like, blown away. They come to the hospital for the operation, and he gets his new leg, and six weeks later does a triathlon. Does a three-mile run, 12-mile bike ride, 150-yard swim in a pool with Rudy uh, from CAF, who's right behind me. Um, yeah. And – then we sent him back to Ghana and he's got on his medal from doing the triathlon, gets off the plane with jeans on. First time he'd ever worn jeans because before he had this thing sticking out the back of his knee. Got jeans on for the first time. He's got a $15,000 leg in a country with a per capita income of 400 bucks. And there he had a, a ticker tape parade through his hometown of Koferudia for this oh, conquering cool. hero who's come back from doing this triathlon with his brand new leg. So we bring him back to San Diego, do our bike ride the following year, does it with two legs rather than one and four hours rather than seven, receives our most inspirational athlete award from Robin Williams. Then we send him up to Nike to receive the Casey Martin award, which is for people who are inspirational to the disabled, comes with a $25,000 grant and we match that. So now Emmanuel's our ambassador to Ghana with $50,000. Then Lisa and Nancy set it up for him to meet the Secretary General of the United Nations Kofi Annan to talk about the rights of the disabled in Ghana. Then they take the film and send a rough cut to Oprah Winfrey, who agrees to narrate the film. <laughs> then uh, it just escalates. It just keeps escalating. When you do the right thing, good stuff happens. That's as I've yeah. always been a firm believer in that. If it, if you told me, hey, we just met this kid, Emmanuel, do a five year plan. None of this would have been in a five year plan. This is true. Yeah, you know, and I've always believed that in business as well. Is sometimes it's great to have a plan. Sometimes it's better to be nimble and react to opportunities. So then uh, Lisa and Nancy pitch ESPN on Jim McLaren and Emmanuel receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at the ESPY Awards. And they love the idea. And so we're sitting in the, uh, the Nokia Theater in L.A. for the ESPY Awards. And here comes Matthew Perry from Friends is hosting the show. He introduces a 13 and a half minute feature on Jim and Emmanuel and on CAF, narrated by Kiefer Sutherland from, you know, from at the time the hottest show out there called 24. Yep. And yep. then when the piece, which is spectacular, ends, and Lisa Nancy produced the piece. When the piece ends, here's Oprah and Emmanuel and Jim hugging on stage. And this is, you know, this is like our little charity hasn't even, we've been out for about 10 years. We're in a little baby chair. So you got LeBron James and all these people in the audience crying and Bill Walton. And it was amazing. So one person watching that night was President George W. Bush in the White House. And he wanted to know if he could meet Emmanuel. So the oh, following wow. week, we're launching the film at the National Geographic Theater in D.C. And we get a call that President Bush would like to meet Emmanuel. 
So now we're in the waiting room at the West Wing and we're watching up on TV and there's a the bombings in the subways in London were happening right then. And we're like, oh, there's no way the president is going to, this is, this is a major deal. He's not going to take yeah, time. Big deal. Yeah. So they usher us into the Oval Office as Rumsfeld and Cheney are sprinting out of the Oval Office. Defense, there you got the Secretary of Defense and the Vice President are sprinting out. We walk into the Oval Office and it's myself and President Bush and Emmanuel, my partner from Competitor Magazine. And we're, we're in a little semicircle with the most powerful guy on the planet. And he's like, Emmanuel, what I appreciate is you are never looking for government help. You are looking to make a difference on your own for the disabled. So when you ride your mountain bike, do you ride SPDs? Do you ride flat pedals? Do you ride cages? <laughs> I ride with my Look at boys. him with that bike knowledge. I, I ride with my boys out of Quantico with the Secret <laughs> Service. We ride hard. How do you ride your bike? So Emmanuel's wearing his Ghana garb, like a full gown. And he reaches oh, cool. down to take his leg off to show the president how his leg works. And it makes an audible click, which the Secret Service wasn't very happy about. And they all start <laughs> moving towards us. And next thing you see is President Bush with this leg in his hand, right? So the next day, we get an email from the guy who set up this visit. And he goes, hey, guys, thank you so much for coming. The president loved meeting Emmanuel. FYI. We keep a list of the first that happened in the Oval Office. The first person to take their leg off in the Oval Office, Emmanuel Emmanuel. from Ghana. But the cool part (laughs) was at this point, the president of Ghana had done nothing to help Emmanuel with his quest to get a disability act passed in his country. Well, so now the papers in Ghana have a front page photo of Emmanuel with the most powerful guy on the planet. So when Emmanuel gets off the plane in Ghana, the president of Ghana is there to meet him and commits to getting his Disability Act passed in Parliament, and six months later, it gets passed. Post, uh, next thing that happens is uh, in 2010, myself and and some other of our CF athletes are riding with President Bush down in what's called the Warrior 100. He creates a mountain bike event that he puts on every year to take care of the, the men and women who lost limbs or were paralyzed in combat. And so we're with President Bush, and the first night, we do the shaking hands photo, right, with President Bush. So I'm like, President Bush, I don't remember, but a few years ago, I met you in the Oval Office, the young man from Ghana. He goes, Emmanuel, I never did find out. Does he ride flat pedals? Does he ride cages? Does he ride SPDs? How does he ride his bike? I was like, President Bush, you, you probably don't realize this, but a disability act was passed in parliament, and a big reason for that was you. So when people talk about, well, how do you make a difference? You, you start with, you know, you start by lighting a match. And you never know how big that bonfire is going to get. And in this particular case, Emmanuel now travels the world as a motivational speaker. He named his first little girl Linda after Lonely Linda Hospital, his second little girl Comfort after his mother. And, you know, that guy, he changed his nation because he wasn't looking for personal help. He was looking to change the plight of the disabled in his country. And, you know, that's a big part of what we try to do at CAF when I see like the photo behind me of Bill Walton and, and Scout Bassett with their bicycles. Scout Bassett now is a Nike ambassador and oh, she's cool. with Bridgestone and she's training for you know her the Paralympics. She's down at the IMG Academy down in Florida and she's a motivational speaker and, and watching our athletes become more than athletes to be to make a living and to be uh, rather than thought of as lesser than, but to be thought of as greater than. That, that's, I think, a testament to what CAF has brought to the table. So, Bob, for our athletes listening who love what Challenge Athlete Foundation is doing, what are the best ways to get involved and support uh, everything that's going on and what you guys are doing for these athletes? Well, you know, there's a number of ways. One is uh, you go to challengeathletes.org and just make a donation. It's always, always appreciated. Uh, we have volunteer opportunities. Next year, we're rolling into our 30th anniversary, so we're going to have – our uh, big, what we call the best day in try, which will be in October. And we do a, a bike ride, our million dollar challenge bike ride from San Francisco wow. to San Diego, 640 <laughs> miles, seven days. That leads into the triathlon. Yeah. So people ante up 12,500. We had 120 riders. We raised 1.8 million for the ride and had 27 challenged athletes as part of this. And the cool part was uh, you have a police escort out of San Francisco. They meet you for lunch, usually along the ocean during each day. When you're done with the ride, your masseuse is waiting for you. 
your mechanic is there to tune up your bike and your bags are in your five-star hotel room. And then every evening there's a program which showcases one of our, our challenge athletes. So people finish this ride awesome. and they are changed yeah, forever. Cool. It is something. You're a professional athlete for the week as well. And usually and people who live out here in SoCal, we do like 16 weeks of training leading into the event. So everybody is way ready for a really tough 640 mile bike ride. And that leads into the triathlon. And so this last week we raised 1.8 through the bike ride, another 1.3 or so um, during the uh, triathlon, the best day in tri. So it was about a $3.1 million yeah, no week, kidding. which was phenomenal. And a great opportunity to participate if you're if you're an athlete um, looking looking to support. Absolutely. And bringing the family out. One year, this is actually Chris McCormick um, came out to do the triathlon and loved it. So I need to bring my girls to see this. So the following year, he did the bike ride. And his girls and his wife were in San Diego uh, for when the bike ride was coming in. It comes in on Friday. And we have all our kids out there to put the medals on the athletes. And so we have like little hurdles set up. We'll have, I think 150 challenge athletes out there. So all the kids are playing and Maka's wife is saying to her daughters, you know, girls, why don't you go play with the other kids? And one of her kids goes, mommy, we can't play with them. We don't have oh, a wow. magic leg like they do. You know, it was like all of a sudden yeah. this thing that people used to hide, this prosthetic it's leg, a superpower. it became a magic leg because it's got, it's got superpower. It's got, and the kids, will put uh, Scooby-Doo on their leg. They'll have Black Panther on their leg. It's, it's amazing because it's used to be people would look down on themselves or other people would look down on them for having a prosthetic or being in a wheelchair. How many commercials do you see now where you don't see somebody with a, with a prosthetic or see somebody in a wheelchair? Diversity, inclusion, all of that has become really, really important. And I think people are under media, not media, but uh, media as well. But companies are realizing that if, if there's 20 people in the room, the one person with the prosthetic leg is going to draw some attention. Sure. So that's not a bad person to put into your TV commercial. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Hello everyone, it's cool down time. I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. And today I'm introducing to you a true gem of a human. Her name is Julie and she describes herself as a professional data nerd. She loves romance novels, gaming, crochet, and roller derby. And she just recently completed her first 70.3, so a huge congratulations for that. Welcome to the cool down, Julie. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. So, Julie, I am excited to hear about your race. How did it go? Yeah, I uh, I didn't die <laughs> and I didn't give up. <laughs> and as a back of the packer, uh, I finished five minutes before the cutoff and the whole sec it was two laps on the run. And the whole first lap, I thought, I'm just going to DNF. I'm going to give up. I'm going to go to the transition area. But I stuck with it and I finished and I had no idea I could do something so hard. <laughs> I love that so much. I I love that you think about doing hard things and, and having a goal and you seriously accomplished it. So congratulations. That's really amazing. So previous to this 70.3, how long have you been doing triathlons and what got you into the sport in the first place? Um, I did notice that you have done a couple of tri relays with your dad. So who convinced who to do that? Yeah. So my dad is kind of to blame for all of this, actually. Um, about 10 years ago, I had bariatric surgery and I needed to start getting active. So my dad has been a lifelong cyclist, encouraged me to get a bike and start riding. And uh, I got going on that. And then a few years later, I found a local non-competitive women's only triathlon. And I thought, I like to swim. I like to bike. I hate to run. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> and so I, I ended up walking the entire 5K, but I finished. And, okay, this is cool. And uh, ended up moving on to roller derby uh, that I'm involved in. But the pandemic completely shut down roller derby. Um, yeah. You know, COVID and full contact sports just do not mix. Right. So I needed to do something that I could do by myself and I could hop on my trainer. I could run around my neighborhood and when swimming at the gym opened back up, I could do that. So um, I got more serious about that. I decided to actually learn how to run. I did the none to run program and I still do the Galloway style walk run intervals and well uh, just made that my thing. 
And as I was training and decided I was going to do the half, I needed some smaller events to, to motivate myself. So I talked my dad into doing a relay with me. I swim, he bikes, I run. And it gave him a training goal. He actually lives 15 minutes from me. So we'll go out on training rides together and be carbo load together the night before the race. Uh-huh. My mom comes <laughs> along and takes pictures. And it's just a, a great way to keep myself motivated during the training cycle. That is so cool. I love that so much that he... Uh that he convinced you to uh, get on your bike and and that's turned into something that you're extremely passionate about. That is really Yeah, it's been great. Really. Yeah. Good job. Well done. I love that. I know that you came to Tridot through the preseason project. So how did you discover that? Yeah, I saw the ads for the preseason project on Facebook because I'm involved in a couple of uh, triathlon discussion groups there. And I really liked the idea of training with a structure and making it responsive to my own data because the first year of the pandemic, I just kind of winged it. I would run around in circles. I would hop on my bike and not really have any sort of direction. And I am not a competitive person, but I like to compete with myself and track my own times and see how I'm getting better. And so it really resonated with me that I would be able to base it all on my own skills and my own abilities, no matter how slow those might be, and ultimately improve my own times to be able to do the things I wanted to do. That's so great. Good for you. I love that uh, you discovered it that way. And and you're a data person anyways, so I'm sure this is like right up your alley. Oh, it's amazing. I have spreadsheets, my friend. I have <laughs> spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets. <laughs> that is so awesome. I can only imagine. Are they color coded? Oh, heck yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So you love TriDot so much, and now you're officially a TriDot ambassador. Welcome to the club. What made you want to represent TriDot? Yeah, I think seeing that TriDot could help me, a a proud member of Team Turtle, do really hard things was what made me want to share that with other people who maybe don't think they can do triathlon, who think they're too slow to get into it, Um, maybe people with other challenges in getting into triathlon. Um, For example, I have bipolar and OCD, and I found that the way TriDot gives me my workouts, it gives me a whole week, and I can schedule those based on, you know, if I'm having a bad brain day, then maybe I can talk myself into doing an easy ride in front of the trainer, watching a movie, and rearrange things as my brain needs it. And I'm also a working mom, so being able to schedule things around when I can get away from work and run on my lunch break, or when my kid wants to go play at the playground at the gym while I go swimming, um, has been just tremendously helpful. And wanting to be able to encourage people, if you think there's reasons you can't do it, there's ways around it. And TriDot can absolutely help with that. And having the community also has been just a tremendous help, being able to reach out when other people are struggling or maybe when I'm having some anxiety about racing and just, you know, sharing unicorn gifts when somebody (laughs) has a great race or just, hey, you know, I've been there too. You're not alone. And having that emotional support crew because I'm not a part of a local triathlon group. So having the online community has been tremendously successful and I want to keep giving back to that and helping other people find that as well. You know, it totally sounds like you're the type of ambassador that I hope that I am as well. Um, you just love everything about TriDot and and you are there to support and encourage and also to draw from the encouragement and support from others when needed. Yeah, the doing the half Ironman was really stressful for me because I was concerned all year long that I wasn't going to make the cutoffs. And that was a huge source of stress and... Um, After the preseason project, I did my first half marathon, I did my first Olympic, and more than once there were times when I would post the TriDot Facebook group like, oh my god, I can't do this, somebody talk me down, I want to quit, help, oh my god, and you know, there were tons of people chiming in like, no, 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 you got this, have you, or or a couple cases, uh, you know, here's a book that really helped me, or uh, have you listened to this episode of the podcast, Um, somebody pointed me towards the back of the pack podcast episode, which, oh my gosh, that's my people, and And uh, it was just a tremendous resource. 
Do you have any goals for next season or any dream races that you would like to participate in? Yeah. So my next big goal after doing the half is to finish a marathon, which is so weird to think of myself as, you know, the kid picked last in gym class who couldn't run for five minutes without dying. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing that in February. I'm doing the Mason Yay. Marathon, which is prime running weather here in Arizona. It's going to be amazingly beautiful. Perfect. Uh, and then after I do that, my big dream after that is I want to do the rim to rim hike of the Grand Canyon, which is oh. about 25 miles. You go all the way down to the bottom, you spend the night, you hike all the way back up. And I figure if I can do a half Ironman, I can do darn near anything. So I can totally hike the Grand Canyon. I guess of they're course. doing some, um, they're doing some renovations on the lodge at the, at the bottom of the canyon right now. So it's on pause, but I got to get some time to train. I can, I can do that. You can totally do that. I can't wait to follow along on your journey. That's yeah, really amazing. Fun. Yeah. Good for you. Now, what would you say to a friend who wants to do their first triathlon, but they're a little too scared to pull the trigger and register for it? I would say triathlon is for everybody. A lot of people have this vision of this skinny little elite athlete on a $20,000 time trial bike, when in actuality, you can show up to a local race with a mountain bike or a Walmart bike and whatever swimsuit you have sitting around. And it doesn't matter how fast you are, what your body shape is, what your gear looks like. We're here to support you. And anybody who puts their mind to it can get out there and prove to yourself that you can do hard things and have a lot of fun doing it. I 100% agree. I, I actually did my first triathlon on a fat bike. Like the, the tires were so wide and nice. everybody was passing me on the, on the, on the bike course. And, uh, and yeah, you're so right. Triathlon is for everybody. And I'm so happy that we were able to connect and chat about this because that's ultimately why I wanted to be a TriDot ambassador as well is to show that everyone Everyone has the ability to do hard things. So I love your mindset. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I look forward to following you forward. Thanks a bunch. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank the legendary Bob Babbitt and the also legendary John Mayfield for joining us for today's conversation. To experience UCAN's Live Steady products for yourself, head to their website, UCAN.co. Use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. Head to metadyne.com to check out the Pro Stretch Add-A-Day Recovery Tool lineup. Use promo code TRIDOT for 20% off your order. Thanks so much for listening. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.